Welcome to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast channel. This Sunday, Apostle continues in the Word of His Grace series as he preaches a sermon titled, Doing Righteousness. In this service, Apostle teaches that though we received our salvation freely, we must learn to practice our righteousness. He further goes on to show us how we can live and practice the righteousness that we have received. So grab your Bibles, your pens, and notepads as we join Apostle Frederick from the City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. I'm so glad to be with you all this wonderful morning. I would like to begin by wishing all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. <laughs> I, 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 I think the instrumentalists are being a bit jealous. I thought they would like do something. I said happy Mother's Day to all mothers. You know, it, it's amazing. God in the scriptures compares himself to a mother. And he says, shall a mother forget her child? And he says, even if they were i will never forget you by talking like that he was setting the he was setting he was setting the standard very high and it's interesting that he on purpose speak to the mothers for that standard praise god i think we should start with a song those who are watching i want you to share this i want you to do me a favor tag as many names as possible and apart from tagging, I also want you to share this to as many people as possible. So I want you to tag and share this with as many people as possible. So right now, start tagging names. I'll give an award to that, the person who tags the most names. I'll, I'll personally do something. Praise God. <laughs> and I want you to share this in all your family groups. I want you to share this in those groups where you don't say anything. I want you to share this in, with everyone. Praise God. Let's sing a song. I think we should sing uh, uh, something more than gold. What do you think? We should sing something more than gold. We usually sing that one in G or G sharp. Let's sing something more than gold as people are tagging and they're sharing. Let's go. Praise God. Praise God. Are we ready? Sweet Jesus, you're the wind beneath my wings. Sweet Jesus, you're my melody and harmony. Sweet Jesus, you're the eyes that I see through. Sweet Jesus, yes, I'm dancing to your tune. For as the deepest water so my soul longs for you. Forever and ever, yes, this heart beats for you. As the deepest water my soul is for you forever and ever, yes, this 
you just love this? Don't you? I know I definitely do. I want us to talk about something interesting today. Um, we are gonna, today's sermon is entitled Doing Righteousness. Doing Righteousness. Doing Righteousness. I want you to be very active in the comments. Some of you may not know, but after service, I watch the videos from all our platforms and I read the comments. So be very active. Let me know that you're learning. So doing righteousness. And of course, our main text will be First John 3, 7, but that's not the text we're going to start with. I want us to start by correcting a certain view that's there in Christianity. In a number of people. I see it on a number of platforms. I'm sure you get to hear it sometimes. Everybody's talking about uh, uh, and you know it, people have developed this auto defense mechanism and for me it's not humility to do that. It's actually pride. By that I mean if there's an issue that's raised maybe somebody has been unfaithful to their wife or there's just been unfaithfulness exhibited in several ways. You find the moment it's brought out in the public light, somebody immediately begins to say, hey, he who has not seen cast the first stone, and they'll begin to all talk about not being judged and the like. But I, I, it's, it's a very bad defense mechanism that will lead to no, that will lead to no growth. The don't judge me mentality is a very bad defense mechanism. It's a horrible one. And I want us to look at the scriptures. And we're going to look at uh, John chapter number 8. And we're going to read from verse 3. Let's go. 
John 8 from verse 3, and I want us to understand something about it. The Bible says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, that's Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Mufundisi, or Moruti, or Asogolele, or Wopunzisa. I think for today, let's just say teacher. <laughs> I was going to go through a whole list, but I, I, I thought I would spare you, spare you that. So they say to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. These guys were very malicious. They caught this woman in the very act of adultery, left the man, carried the woman. Let's go. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to which to, of which to accuse him. You know what that means? If Jesus said, stone her, they would have said, this man is a murderer. If Jesus said, don't stone her, they would have said, this man is opposing Moses. You just never witness some people. <laughs> you have to be careful. And that's why when people test you, you must have the discernment and the wisdom to know how to answer. The Bible says Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. Though, as though he did not hear. Can you imagine the scene? They're saying all those things. Jesus just started writing in the ground. Like the way some of us do when we're texting. Like maybe you're being talked to and you're busy on the phone like that. Now in those days, there was nothing like texting. I've got a feeling if it was in these days, Jesus would have been like this. <laughs> as though he didn't hear. So Jesus starts texting on the ground. And some people have tried to come up with what Jesus said on the ground. Saints of the living God, I don't know how deep you are. But the Bible just tells us that he wrote on the ground. We, we, we have no idea what he said or what he wrote. Perhaps, <laughs> I, I've heard, you know, there are several other people have taught what Jesus wrote on the ground. No, somebody said he said writing down all their sins. <laughs> that would take a lot of ground. <laughs> Praise God. Let's not add or subtract. Next verse. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. I want us to understand a few things here. Firstly, Jesus was not saying this woman did not deserve to be stoned. It's just that none of them deserved to stone her. So I, I want you to know something. You may be thinking, hey, no one should judge me because they're also sinning. That doesn't mean God won't judge you. God deserves the right to. I, I hope you're getting me. It doesn't make it right with God because other people are also in darkness. It doesn't make your darkness light. Remember that. And so he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then, notice, let's go on. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He continued uh, texting. Let's continue. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. I can honestly imagine how this was. Can you imagine the scenery? I want you to imagine the scenery. Like, those guys were convicted by their own conscience. Meaning, it, it's not that the woman did not deserve to be stoned. It's that none of them deserved to stone her. Because their conscience reminded them of things that people didn't know. Praise God. Praise God, they even had a conscience. Some people don't. And then, I, I can just imagine the scene. Like, here is the woman, and here is Jesus. And the woman is just there waiting to be stoned. She knows she deserves to be stoned. 
she did not have any form of pride. She was not defending herself like most people do. And praise God that Jesus is not me, right? Because it was me, I would have, I've got this sense of humor. I would have like gotten a stone just like for playing, like I've been doing da, like, da. <laughs> like <laughs> But then look at what Jesus does. And th these words are powerful. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Uh-huh. And she said, no one, Lord. Now, at this mo point, it meant only Jesus had the right to stone her. Only Jesus had the right to do that. And she was not going to complain if he did. But look at what he does. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't end there. He went on to say, go and sin no more. It's not enough to settle on the Lord has not condemned you. You must now progress to the next level of go and sin no more. There must be a difference now in the way you live. He didn't say go and commit a doubt or again I still won't condemn you, go and commit a doubt. No, that's not what he encouraged. Jesus said, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. So if you're going to use this scripture of he who cast the first, who has not seen, let him cast the first stone. If you're going to use that as your excuse for habitually sinning, you are in danger because that is very unscriptural and it is pride. It's not the woman who said, let he who has not seen cast the first stone. It was Jesus who had the right to stone her. He chooses not to. And then afterwards, he tells her, go sin no more. So that's how the scripture ends, with go and sin no more. Praise God. That's how it ends. And so that's the part that we're looking at. And from this scripture, you can see that, I mean, for him not to condemn her, that shows you that he offers righteousness first. But there is something else you have to do after this righteousness has been offered. There's a way that you have to live. Allow me to say this. There is a lifestyle of a believer. Christianity, I don't believe Christianity is a lifestyle, but it does have a lifestyle. It does produce a particular lifestyle. I'm not defining it as a lifestyle because Christianity is too big. It, it, it's, it's, very, it's much bigger than a lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's divinity in humanity. It's, it's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yeah. It's me in Christ and Christ in me. It's, it's bigger than a lifestyle. But the fact of the matter is it does produce a certain lifestyle. It does produce a certain lifestyle. And, and you have to know this. You have to know this, that Jesus does expect a certain lifestyle of believers. The scriptures do indicate they all point at a certain lifestyle. And sometimes people have misinterpreted the message of grace to think that, oh, because grace has come and has forgiven us, we can just live any way we want. That's not what the scripture says. Think about it. If you've read Romans 6 verse 1, the Bible says, uh, shall we then, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? What does it go to say? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You'll see when we look at other scriptures. But there's a lifestyle that's expected. I can show you. Listen, look at Matthew 7 verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I want to see how Jesus defined them. Uh -huh. Let's go. You will know them by their fruits. Have you observed that scripturally? Fruits is a produce of how you live, whereas gifts is that, 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 charis, that charisma upon your life to work out miracles and all those things. But fruits is a produce of how you live. 
And I, I must say that as much as your gifts do help others, your fruits have a very high place in determining your reward. He says, you will know them by their fruits. And he says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Let's go. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. So it's one thing. We've taught you how you've become the good tree. Oh, what must you do now as a good tree? Bear good fruit. And do you know that it's your responsibility to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Are you aware that it's your responsibility? You know, uh, allow me to say something. There are people who uh, believe that it's the fruit primarily of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, I do get it. But one thing I've come to learn, that it's the fruit of your spirit. I remember your spirit, of course, is one with the Holy Spirit. But then you have to produce the fruit. How do we know? Have you read what the scriptures say about producing fruit and whose role it is? Look at John 15. John 15 verse 1. What does it say? I am the true vine, uh -huh, and my father is the wine dresser. Let's continue. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. You see that? There are actually branches in him that are not bearing fruit. The problem there is not the Holy Spirit. The problem is the branch not bearing the fruit. So it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And even when you study the context in Galatians, have you observed that first it's comparing that the spirit lasts against the flesh? It's not the Holy Spirit lasting against your flesh. It's your spirit lasting against the flesh. And that's why you find you can have same believers with the same Holy Spirit producing different fruit. Some people are not walking in the fruit of the spirit. It's you to bear fruit. And you can decide to be an unfruitful branch. But biblically, what does the Bible tell us about those that uh, don't bear fruit? He, he takes away. He cuts them off. And those that bear fruit, he prunes that they may bear even more fruit. Praise God. What am I trying to say? There is a lifestyle that's expected of believers. Believers are expected to walk a certain way. I'm, I'm about to go to the scripture. You know, I keep giving you scriptures which are not even in my notes. This is why I write notes. Um, I can give you another example. Give me Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 1. It says, be imitators of God as dear children. Let's continue. And by the way, in terms of the lifestyle of a believer, I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. You will learn a lot. Let's go on. Give me verse 2. Okay. So Ephesians, yeah, verse 2. It says, walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering. There's a nice song that has those words. As an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh-huh. The, the, the verse we're getting to. But fornication or uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. I'm going ahead of myself, eh? Next verse. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5. And then we're beginning to talk, we're, and then we are shown how um, any person who walks in that way, the Bible says they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom. They don't have any inheritance in what is coming. Praise God. So now, I hope that little introduction has helped you a little. Maybe one more verse for the introduction. What do you think? Ephesians 4 verse 1. Ephesians 4 verse 1. 
The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This calling that we have, there's a worthiness about it. There is there's so much value in it. And we're being told to walk worthy on it. Worthy of it. Praise God. So now last week, we're going to our main text now, which is 1 John 3 verse 7. And we'll read it from three or four different versions. Last week, I endeavored to explain how uh, as believers, we are righteous. As believers, we are the righteousness of God. We are the rightness of God. We now have right standing with God. Our sins have been forgiven and we've been given a new nature. It's beyond being forgiven. We have a new nature. And so we're not just going to sit and just celebrate and say, oh, we've been given a new nature. No, there's something we must do about it. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. So now that we've established that we are righteous and we're not trying to be righteous, we're not doing good things to try to be righteous, but we must still do good things because we are righteous. Listen, we are not trying to work for righteousness, but we must work from righteousness. Otherwise, the grace of God in our lives would have been in vain. If it just made you righteous, but you didn't do anything about it. And so, let's look at this verse. The Bible says, little children, we're reading from the New King James, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. When I give you a few other versions, you understand it better. Let's have the King James. Today's sermon is called Doing Righteousness. I would have called it Practicing Righteousness. I just feel like doing righteousness sounds very... Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. It says, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Okay, let's now read a few versions which will help us have a bit of an understanding. Um, give me the NLT. Read the NLT and the Amplified. Dear children, let not, let, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Is it making more sense? The Bible says, let your light shine before men. People won't believe just because you've confessed it. Praise God. No, we've got a responsibility to the world to do righteousness. Let's, let's forget this mentality of even these people who are saying, okay, they've got their little dark secret. That's deception. If, if that's what you think about everyone, then you're deceived. Are you trying to say that the grace of God has not worked in anyone producing the right fruit? There are people who are genuinely loving. There are people who are genuinely giving. There are people who genuinely don't want anything from you, but are just being merciful. They are there. And it's deception to... Listen, it's very big deception to think every person out there is righteous. It's deception. And you'll be shocked one day. But at the same time, it's also deception to think everybody out there is wicked. And you know what? The latter can really... Uh, it can produce a lot of... It can rob you of a lot of relationships. It says... When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. And that's why as a believer, here's something we must grow in. Here's something we must endeavor in. Now, this sermon I know is very sobering. When I say very sobering, it, it, it touches areas that are not usually touched. I, I, I know this because I'm the one preaching it. I know what it does to me first, even just when preparing. 
you know, you check yourself and all that. It, it, it's very sobering, but I'll tell you something. It's sobering. Uh, part of our growth, part of our development in Christ is such sobering moments. They help us get rid of sin. They help us get rid of weights that easily ensnare us. Praise God. And before we look at how men see you, it's about you and God. I'm saying this because, listen, <laughs> if let's say you've made certain mistakes, there are some people who may never see you the same. But primarily, the biggest thing is you and God first. You and God are settled. And then there's you and yourself. And then some people get to see that, oh, there's a difference. Others don't get to. But at the end of the day, they'll believe when your neighbor's in heaven. You might find your house. Maybe has got a bigger story building and all that. You, you know what I'm talking about. So at the end of the day, I'm not even looking at how people see you. The biggest thing is how you and God are related. So it's a very sobering message. So he says, let's read it from the Amplified. Boys, lads. <laughs> when I, whenever I hear the word lads, I think of a football team. Like every time football players are being uh, interviewed, they always say the lads. <laughs> and they're talking about their teammates for like 35. Anyways, boys, lads. Let no one deceive you and lead you astray. He who practices righteousness, who is upright, conforming to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action, living consistently, conscientious life is righteous, even as he is righteous. Who is the he being talked about? The Messiah. So because they are now in the likeness of the Messiah, they are righteous just as Jesus is righteous. Remember, as he is in heaven, so are we here on earth. Are you saying that? It says he who practices righteousness. That, that shows somebody who is upright. Somebody who is conforming to the divine will in purpose, in thought, in action, and living consistently. Glory to God. It's about time we add some consistency to this life of ours. Praise God. It's about time we add some consistency. Oh, that's a beautiful one. So it says, he that doeth righteousness, he that practices righteousness, he that is upright, he that is conforming to the divine will and purpose, in thought, in action, somebody living consistently, saints of the living God, we can't continue being the reason why people don't believe our gospel by the lives that we're living. Let's make improvements. Let's make amendments. Let's get counseling where we need to. But I don't want us to be puffed up with pride simply because we now have knowledge that we are the righteousness of God. Instead, it should fill us with awe. It should bring us the fear of the Lord. And we should say, hey, with all this righteousness I've received, I have a responsibility to show the world how to live. To show the world how to treat people. To show the world how to honor people. To show the world how to react to situations. To show the world how to react in the face of danger. I have a responsibility to do that. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus Christ of Nazareth is. Praise God. And, and, and I'll tell you something. If you are not striving for perfection, if you are not aiming for perfection, if perfection is not your end goal, then, that, then, 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 then there's a lack of... It's, it's unchristlike. It's not biblical. The aim of a child being born is for them to be raised into a mature human being who can now make decisions on their own. And Jesus told us in Matthew, he, is it 5.42? He said, be perfect. 
just as your father in heaven is perfect. And the word perfect actually is translated mature. Praise God. It's translated mature. Praise God. It's 48. Matthew 5, 48. It says, be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And it's translated mature. If we're not striving for perfection, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, what are we told? Hebrews 12, 1. Oh man, we're in ahead of myself. We are told, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, uh, the New King James, please. Since we are surrounded by so a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run our race with endurance that is set before us. And then in verse 2, we are showed the aim of our race. We are showed the final goal. We are saying, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus should be your dream. Jesus should be your goal in life. Jesus should be your vision. And as you continue to behold the word, what does the scripture tell us? You are being transformed more and more into his likeness. You are becoming more like him. Meaning, it's no longer just your spirit, even your soul. Your mind now thinks the, the thoughts of God. It's no longer my thoughts and not your thoughts. It's now I have the mind of Christ. I mean, even your body begins to obey because the spirit uh, gives life to your mortal body. Do you know why, why I can say that? Have you ever seen what David wrote in the Psalms? <laughs> Have you ever seen how David talked in Psalm 63? Let me show you. Psalm 63, verse 1. I'll just do it. Oh God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now, in case you didn't know, at the time David was writing this, what happened is he was escaping. He was running away because... Uh, the kingdom was under attack. It should have been from Absalom. So he was in the desert. So at this point, you'd think the guy is longing for, for, for food and the like. But he, instead, his flesh, not just his, his flesh was longing for the presence of God. Even, even He got even his flesh addicted to the presence of God. You can tell. Look at the context. Continue with the verses. It says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Uh-huh. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. There was, no, there was nothing human that could satisfy him like the presence of God. He says, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. Praise God. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Praise God. I want you to read it in your own time. But I don't know, even his flesh, even his flesh. Imagine David is walking in the road and like, they're like, David, what's wrong? Oh my God, I, I, I'm longing for the temple. And remember then, the presence was limited. He was just like, I just want to go in the temple. The guy writes, I would rather be a doorkeeper. No wonder the guy says, I was glad, very glad. When they say to me, <laughs> oh my goodness, and that service is coming up shortly. The I was glad, very glad service. Come, hallelujah. Oh, and the moment we all reach the gate, the moment we all reach the gate, we're all going to start. I was glad, very glad. When they... Now, I want us to make a comparison between being righteous and doing righteousness. And so we're going to go to a little bit of physics, just a little bit of physics here and there. And in physics, there's what is called 
potential energy. And it's what is called kinetic energy. Now, for those who may not know, in layman's terms, potential energy is stored energy due to positional state. This is energy that is stored. In everything that you see, even if you see it motionless, there is energy in there that is stored. Think about a bullet. There's a lot of stored energy in a bullet. It's just waiting for a trigger. And then you find it can do damage. But on its own, it may seem useless. So it's already got everything in it to function well. But then there's what is called kinetic energy. This is now energy of motion. And usually you find that this is the stuff that gets the things done. And you know, even if you have to study the human body, you'll notice that that's the case. Praise God. You'll notice that when you eat, there are energies that are stored. And then they are released for hunger, hungry day, hungrier days. You know, with all that glucose and glycogen and stuff like that. And even those fats that are in the body, they are released for better days. But the trouble is if uh, you're never hungry, <laughs> all that's there is a lot of um, fried food that it, it won't do you so well. So anyways, I, I want us to think about a car, okay? Think about a car, a car that is stationary. Here's a car. This car has got the potential to go to Livingston. It's got everything that it needs. The engine is there. The fuel is there. Everything is there. This car has the potential to go to Livingston. So here are two gentlemen, gentleman A and gentleman B. Gentleman A has a car. That car has potential to go to Livingston. It's got all the fuel. It's got the engine and all those things. Gentleman B does not even have transport money. Until gentleman A enters the car, starts it, and drives it, there'll be no difference between him and gentleman B. So one can have a car, the other one doesn't. But until you drive it, you're just as good as the other one. What am I trying to say? Here you are, you possess righteousness. This righteousness is, is enough. It's, it's, it's God's righteousness. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's enough to lead you unto holiness. But until you start doing it, until you start practicing it, you can find yourself living the same life as an unbeliever. Same life. Because you've not learned to practice your righteousness. And you know, when you hear such sobering statements, you no longer, you, you start questioning the whole Jesus take the wheel kind of thing. You want him to take the, you want him to take the wheel where? And then afterwards, you, you th you're not going to be judged by Jesus' driving. <laughs> he works in you to will and to do. But it's up to you. Jesus never takes free will from a person. What he does is that he works in you to will and to do. But it's up to you to enter the car, start the keys. Even the Holy Spirit didn't take the will from you. The Bible tells us you will hear a voice behind you telling you which way to go. It didn't say you will hear a voice which will take over and drive it for you. So you're not going to say, okay, I'll just live my life holy. Like Jesus will just be leading me. My friend, <laughs> you are to, let me tell you something. You are to submit to his leading. There's a difference. In short, even no matter how much God does not want you to go to the bar, no matter how much he doesn't want, the moment you start off, sometimes signs and wonders may happen to avoid you, but I, I can tell you as long as you persist, a person who persists can fight God's will over their own life. Ask Jonah. 
Ask Jonah. Found himself in a fish. Scientists are still arguing about how he survived. My friend, it was God's mercy. Ask Jonah. Praise God. No, I, I, I would really want us to get some of those things in our mind. That you are the one to live. How do I know you are the one to live? Because you are the one who will be judged. And you are the one who will receive a reward. He works in you to will and to do. He works in you to will and to do. But it's you to decide to submit to his leading or not. I, I, I hope somebody is getting my point. I remember I was talking to somebody and somebody was telling me how they would find themselves in many compromising positions with some gentlemen, but to the glory of God, nothing happened. They believed God was saving them. I said, oh my goodness, you're lucky you're talking to me right now. Because if this continues, I'm telling you. I said, if this continues, the Bible has already told you that even when you're praying, imagine you're even praying to say, lead, lead us not into temptation. Then you're leading yourself. Remember that God is our leader, but we are the ones to submit. And don't forget that his power works through us. He works within us. Is that what the scripture says? He works within us. So you're the one to decide whether to follow his will or not. That's why you're the one who's told to choose either to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. You're the one who's told to choose. My goodness. So what am I trying to say? I want you to consider the inherent righteousness we receive, like potential energy. You've got the potential to live a life just like Jesus. But you know what? I want you to consider doing and practicing righteousness, like kinetic energy, where you have to set it in motion. That potential energy has to be set in motion. And you've been given the ability to do that. Praise God. And you do that by doing, by action. And we're told, he who practices, he who does, he who is doing righteousness is righteous. Let me show you a few scriptures. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Is somebody getting me? Is somebody, is somebody, is somebody with me? Are you seeing why I always tell you to share these services? Can you imagine how many people's lives will be saved? How many people will make it to heaven? Because I can assure you that it's dangerous to receive this free gift of grace and then start living a reckless life. It's very dangerous. Read the book of Hebrews, you understand that. Or maybe I should show it to you. I'll show it to you later. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hey, hold on. This same free gift of salvation which we should be joyful about, which David says, uh, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Afterwards, you're told, work it out with fear and trembling. Why are you told to work it out with fear and trembling? Uh, I remember one time, uh, my sister bakes. Uh, she, she loves to bake cakes. Uh, not just loves, it's, it's, it's what she does. Uh, and she does it really good. So, there's this cake that she baked, and uh, some people came to pick it up. And it was one of those cakes which, if it falls, first of the money that would have been lost, and then to beg it again. When carrying it, I carried it for three steps. She allowed me only for three steps. Those three steps were the most careful three steps of my life. Praise God. I had to walk like this. Why? Because I knew I'm carrying something valuable. Praise God. There is a way you drive if you are driving a very valuable car. 
or the day you buy your car for the first time. Sometimes after one or two moments. <laughs> yeah, sometimes after one or two moments. Haven't you noticed even just with uh, relationships, every type of relationship, people are careful. There are certain people who you really want to not get on their bad side. When sending messages to them, you edit, you, you don't type it in the message box, you go to the notepad, you edit, you edit the grammar, you paragraph it well, you you take, is this sentence, or even read it to someone, is this sentence okay? Afterwards, you speak in tongues for two minutes and you send the message. You are careful. There are some people who it's like that in the first days. If, if, they, if people could keep it like that, their entire relationship and marriage, I think they would have really good marriages. Because in the first days, when you find this gentleman is trying to court the lady, she can do no wrong. Every message is carefully premeditated. Two months later, it turned anyway. <laughs> Praise God. What am I trying to say? This salvation is of such value. So when it says work it out with fear and trembling, it means, you know, you're giving it the value, the respect that it deserves. You're driving that car nicely. Where you know that, okay, Appa, if I'm to overtake, there's that car coming quickly. You decide, okay, let me, there's no need for me to take, there's no need for me to risk and overtake when something wrong could happen, when I could just wait for five more seconds. This car is too valuable. Find to the price of this car. Ah, if somebody get in my thought, and we're being told, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you'll see the next verse. It's you to work it out, but look at the advantage you have. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure, but it's you to work it out. It's you to work it out. He works in you to do, to will and to do. And how do you work it out? You submit. I'll show you scripturally how you can practice righteousness. Eh? Woo! Am I the only person who's saying, wow? And remember, I told you, I promised you that I would show you what happens if you're taking advantage of God's grace, right? Look at, uh, and interestingly, you know, this might be the last sermon in, in this series, which has gone on for three months. <laughs> I want you to look at Hebrews 10, verse 26. Do you feel like I'm just starting? I've been teaching the same series for three months because I, real, I realized that for us to know one plus one the way we know it, were reminded in baby class. Then we were taught in grade one. Then we were taught in grade two. You know, from grade one to grade seven, most of the stuff you were taught was really the same. I think I need to study it more, but I think especially grade one to grade four, some of the stuff is really the same. Some things are just more emphasized and then they broaden up. Then maybe grade four to seven as well. It's rare that new things are introduced. New things are usually introduced as an addition to something from before. Of course, some people went to university and the first day of class, everything was just new. Behold, all things shall become you forget the former things. <laughs> I remember my first, one of my first days of university, I answered the question the way we used to answer in grade 12. Hey! The lecture was like, what's that? That's grade 12 thinking. I'm like, hey. <laughs> I, I, I'm told, you know, I was talking to some of the NS people at Onza and I was told, what did they tell me? Our chemistry looks like maths. Our maths looks like... <laughs> Physics, our physics looks like. <laughs> I said it is well. But have you observed that usually everything is a build-up? That's why you find in, in they're not going to teach you what one plus one is. Or they're not going to teach you this is how you multiply. They just begin to teach you more of application of some of those things that you learned earlier. And so for me, one of the things I strive to do is to repeat the same things and just add one or two things afterwards. 
Praise God. Look at what it says. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Next verse. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which would devour the adversaries. Uh-huh. Anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on testimony of two or three witnesses. Yeah. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? That's why my advice, if, you, if, there's, if you've been living in consistent sin and, and all those things, maybe something keeps recurring and the like, get help. Repent. Be restored. That's the scripture for me. Praise God. So now one may ask, Apostle F, Apostle Frederick, I mean, um, <laughs> how can I do righteousness? How can I practice righteousness? I'll give you just three tips for today. Number one, deliberately put off the old and put on the new. Deliberately put off the old and put on the new. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 21. Remember I said that you should take your time to read Ephesians. Take your time. Ephesians, Ephesians shows you how to live. Notice Peter chapter 4 and chapter 5, and also read Romans. Romans chapter 6 shows you how to live. So now, Ephesians 4, verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, let's start from 20. I think I missed out the context. But you have not so learned Christ. He's telling them, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And this is the key. This is the whole point. Once you are saved, you have to put off your former conduct. Your former conduct has to go. You can't live the same way you used to live. Something must change. You can't go to the same places you used to go to. You can't do the same things you used to do. That's not the life of a believer. You put off the former conduct. And look at the next verse. The next verse says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So now it says dealing with the mind, right? Now, when it's dealing with the mind, what does it tell us to put on? Look at the next verse. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We've already seen that there's a new man who was created in true righteousness and holiness. But listen, this, this, this brother over here, the mind still remembers the former things. And remember, in this system, that's where now uh, it's got a huge part to do with how you're going to live. Because that's where you choose. That's where you will. So what do you do? You're being told deliberately and learn. Deliberately remove the former conduct. Deliberately. Be deliberate about it. And here's something. You cannot change a conduct you still agree with. You cannot change a conduct if you still have excuses for it. 
Sometimes in the name of don't judge it, we end up agreeing with what's not right. Jesus didn't agree with the adultery. If he agreed with it, he wouldn't have said go and sin no more. You can't change a conduct you still agree with. You can't change it. So what are we told to do? Deliberately, be deliberate about it. Put off the old man. Disagree with that type of behavior. Stop going to the same places. Begin to find it wrong for a man to be with a woman before marriage. It should click in your mind that it's wrong. Don't have an excuse for it. Otherwise, you'll go back the moment opportunity comes back. Don't have an excuse for stealing. Don't have a reason where it is right and where it is not. That's why Paul said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him find something to do. You have to disagree with your former conduct. Put it off. And you can't put off what you've got an excuse for. And then what does it say now? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man. You put on the new man. Be deliberate about enforcing the nature of the new man on every other system. Remember what I said last time. Show leadership to yourself. Be the leader. Put on the new man. And how has this new man been created? In true righteousness and holiness. That's number one. And you know, if I was to read on more verses, it begins to tell you certain things to do. I'm telling you, read, the whole, read this whole chapter. If you read it before, go read it again. I will. Look at the next verse. It says, um, putting away lying. <laughs> you see, you're being told you can literally put it away. Now, why weren't you told to do this before you got saved? Because before you got saved, you didn't have the capacity to put it away. Because the you, as good as you tried to be, was perverted. So now you can put away lying. You can speak the truth with your neighbor. Next verse. Even when you're angry, don't sin. And then if, you, if, if at all this anger has continued burning, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. <laughs> By the time you wake up, my friend, that seed would have germinated. And it says, no, give place to the devil. Because anger, and that shows you something. When it says, no, give place to the devil, it shows you have to be very careful with emotions. You have to be very careful. Because they, can, they usually provide a platform for Satan to do something. You have to be very careful with the state of your heart. He can easily provide a platform for Satan to do something. It says, don't give him a foothold. And it says, let him who stole, let him who stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You see that? It's a whole different approach to life. Uh-huh. Let's go. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Stop that cussing. Stop those insults. Even sharing names that have got those bad words. Stop. That's not good for you. It says, but what is good and necessary for edification? That it may impart grace to your hearers. Can you say in the name of Jesus, my words impart grace? Are you seeing that? Oh my goodness. This is Christianity. This is now, this is now the life of a believer. In their life, you have a believer. What is it going to say? I'm just saying, it's a song. It's just a song. Praise God, the psalmist said. Anyways, so it says, 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this continues in chapter 5. So I don't want to go into the entire chapter 5. It just tells us uh, fornication, all those things. And it tells us uh, such things should not even be named among you. In short, do you know that as believers, we shouldn't even have sessions where we sit down, guys, the 15 dangers of fornication. Number one, this happens to your soul. Number three, the 72nd demon of your grandfather does this. Number, we shouldn't even have to do that. We shouldn't. Have you noticed that when Jesus was talking, when Paul was talking about fornication, have you observed that his point was, what? Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In short, he was saying, beyond all these reasons of all these demons and all these things, the biggest thing that should bother you is that this is God's temple. That's the biggest thing that should bother you. It's a standard you're at now. It's interesting. We actually shouldn't have to do that. Someone would say, my pastor, how come you don't, you don't go deep talking about sin? That's not what I was called to do. Sometimes people force us, especially young people's conferences, seminars, ha, the questions that I ask sometimes. You know what? Let's continue. <laughs> I can upset you. You know what you can do? This question is a joke to the person. They don't want to change. They just want what they are they just want what they are doing to be heard by everyone. You know that. I mean, you go for a young person's conference and they ask, uh, I watch pornography three times a day. Is it wrong? That's different from a person who wants help. It's just a joke to them. You can tell it's a joke. Number two, follow the scriptures. You want to do righteousness? Follow the scriptures. I'll show you why. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You know, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 began to mean a lot to me because uh, in Bible school, there's an assignment we did and this scripture was like the main scripture. The assignment is called Thoroughly Punished. And that assignment makes you read <laughs> uh, three quarters of the Bible. And <laughs> so it emphasizes a lot on scripture. That assignment changed my life physically. <laughs> Emotionally. <laughs> okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Okay, so where should your doctrine come from? The scriptures. It's profitable for reproof. Where should your reproof come from? I can see those looks in your faces. Uh, that is, I can tell some people are asking, man of God, reproof. <laughs> reproof me, Chani. <laughs> okay, so reproof. You know, there's a word proof, eh? So reproof me. <laughs> to prove again? Okay. It's, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Reproof is an expression of blame or disapproval. But we'll read more into the word. We'll look more into it. But it's, 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 it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. So what you should disapprove, should, where should it come from? The scriptures. What you should prove again, for lack of a better term. Like where you're, you're proving if this is right, where should it come from? The scriptures. So for us, we're scriptural people. It doesn't say it should come from a dream. It doesn't say it should come from a vision. It doesn't, say, it doesn't even say it should come from an angel. I don't know if somebody is getting what I'm trying to say. It doesn't even say it should come from an angel. In 
short, even when angels come and talk to us, we go to the scriptures to prove. <laughs> Praise God. We go to the scriptures to prove. Even when thoughts come to us, some thoughts may seem good. If Satan can masquerade as an angel of light, what makes you think he can masquerade as a thought? So all scripture, we are profitable for doctrine, for reproof. When I read the last one, if I don't hear a shout, I'll be shocked. It says for correction. Let me now read it from the top without breaks so that this last part I am assigned. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So he that doeth righteousness is righteous. How do you do righteousness? Follow the instructions. Where are the instructions found? They're found in the scriptures. There are instructions for what to do. There are instructions for what not to do. There are instructions for how to do it. There are instructions for how to conduct yourself. There are, there are so many instructions. You can see the thoughts. You can see the heart behind it. And all scripture is profitable for those things. So in practicing righteousness, do the scriptures. Don't be wiser than God. I'm serious. You know, when you, when you, when you, de- when you decide to do what you think, other than what the scriptures say, then you're saying you're wiser than God. So, for example, here's, here are two people that are not married, right? And they keep meeting alone in a private room. What are they exhibiting? That they believe they're wiser than God. Because God, in his instructions for righteousness, told them to flee. So they believe they're wiser. They are so anointed that they can go beyond God's instructions. Can you imagine that? We are told scripturally what to do. We are told how to do it. And the scriptures are full of instructions. That's why when you're reading the Bible, don't read it as your neighbor's sermon. Read it for you. I was with, I was with Pastor Tony last week and he told me something that blessed me. He said, you reach a point where you stop preparing for sermons. You start preparing for life. When you're reading the Bible, for you, you're preparing for life. And then when it's time to preach, you're drawing out of your preparation for life. And your minister, I was, I was blessed. So read the scriptures to prepare for life. Let them tell you what to do. And when you do that, you'll start doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. The third one for today. Yield to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Yield to Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. I want us to read verse 22. After it talks about the fruit, look what it says. Verse 20. Um, let's read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh-huh. gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to this, hear this. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So you see there's a difference between living and walking. So that's showing you that here is a person they can be in the Spirit, but they are not walking in the Spirit. So yield to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. When you yield to the Spirit, you have a conscience. When you really yield to the Spirit, you'll be sensitive. You, you, you know, you can walk and just say, I think I said the wrong thing. 
Never lose that sensitivity. And you know how that sensitivity is lost? When you know it. Never lose that sensitivity. Where you know, okay, uh -uh, this is wrong. You know, the more you ignore sensitivity, your tolerance levels increase. I'm sure you've read the story about that frog, right? Where that experiment was done, where a frog was put in hot water and it immediately jumped out because the water was hot. But then another time it was put in water that wasn't hot. And then they started slowly increasing the heat. By the time the temperature had reached the highest, the frog could not jump out because the water had... And that's the same thing that happens with our sensitivity. Be one of those people who immediately say, ah, I, I mean, I'm telling you, God wouldn't, people may laugh at you, but God wouldn't find it funny if you're one of those who just says, hey, ah, my eyes can't see this. Ah, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, be careful, be careful. No, no, my ears have refused to hear this. Be careful, ears, what you hear. Don't sacrifice your spiritual life for a movie. Don't sacrifice your spirit, your, your, your life in Christ for romance. Don't sacrifice it for anything. Don't sacrifice it for money. Don't sacrifice it for anything. Ladies and gentlemen, he that does righteousness is righteous. I implore you, do righteousness. Praise God. I pray you've been blessed. Praise God. In your homes, if you're watching me and you've not given your life to Jesus, perhaps for some, what you need is to be restored because you've not been living a life that's right. I want you to know that because you heard this message, it surely shows that Jesus is not condemning you. The reason you heard this message is because he wants to restore you. He didn't send this message for your condemnation. He sent it to help you. And so at this moment, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want you to say after me. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sake. Now today I give you my life. Make me born again. I receive the grace. I receive the grace that has now given me the ability to live a righteous life. I thank you. Amen. Remember, it's one thing to just desire to do what's right. It's another thing to begin to practice what is right. And you know how even in the world they say practice makes perfect. That's actually very biblical because scripturally you must also learn to practice doing the right thing. The more you do the right thing, the more it becomes the normal thing. Let it move from being the right to being the normal. Can somebody say right is the new normal? <laughs> That's the new normal. That's the original normal. That's the proper normal. Praise God. I want you to just lift your hands in your homes. And I want you just to take a moment and just yield to the Spirit. If there's anything that maybe you need to confess to God, maybe you need God to help you with, feel free. Talk to Him. But just yield to the Spirit. Just say, Oh Lord, I yield to you. Thank you, Jesus. Put up and son, take me in this. Can I have seat? 
decision today that you delight in his presence. You delight in his way of doing things. You'll delight in his way of being right. You delight in his restrictions. You delight in his freedoms. You delight in what he says is yes and what he says is no. I want you to lift your hands and tell him that's what I love. Guide me, Lord, things. 
Jesus, I decree and declare that you're blessed. You're blessed beyond measure. I decree and declare in Jesus' name that the life of God is in you and you are producing fruit. I declare in Jesus' name for any wrong you've been forgiven. Things are being fixed. Things are being positioned well. I declare your preservation in Jesus' name. You are preserved from all evil. You are preserved from sickness. In the name of Jesus, everything about you is on the rise. You are moving forward. In Jesus' name. For those who've been asking when uh, we will have some services, I want you to continue following, following on these platforms. Uh, we will keep you updated, but we've been in the process of getting permission. God bless you all, and I love you all. The praise team and the mothers can send us off. Oh, wow! What a service! I've been so blessed and I know you have been too. Now, if you just responded to that altar call by giving your life to Christ, wherever you're listening from, we would like to hear from you. You can reach the City of the Lord Church on plus 2609537560076 or plus 2609774746 if you are unable to call, you can still email us on thecityofthelordzambia at gmail.com or reach us on the Facebook page 
at the City of the Lord Church. Stay blessed.